This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We welcome you on this wonderful Easter Sunday to our worship service from here at Ocean Lakes Family Campground in Myrtle Beach. Oh, how we wish we could be out on the beachfront this morning at sunrise as we have been for many, many years. I remember Mr. Nelson Jackson, our founder, used to say that we had between two and 3,000 people on the ocean front for our sunrise services. Then we had the nine o'clock service in the rec building. And of course, this year, all plans have changed, not only for Ocean Lakes, but for churches everywhere. And as you're sharing this worship service by a different means, then we welcome you. We wish we could all be on the outdoors or in a place of worship. But uh, we're having to cope with the, the facts as they are. And we certainly want to be compliant here at Ocean Lakes, although it's an inconvenience for many people. Some people uh, don't seem to understand what's happening. It's, uh, they know there's a coronavirus going around. But I uh, heard about it. one man said he was just so uh, unhappy about everything. And he was blaming God for the whole situation. He said, what in the world has God done for me? Well, God has done a lot of things for all of us. Several years ago, there was a scientist who wrote an article in a national magazine. And this article uh, was entitled, Seven Reasons Why I Believe in God. I'm not going to give you all seven of those reasons, but I want to glean that man, that scientist's uh, in, uh, information, share with you just a few things about why he said he believed in God. First, he said, think about the rotation of the earth. As the earth spins round and round, uh, it, it continues to rotate at the speed of a thousand miles per hour. Now, we don't know about that because uh, the gravity is another factor that uh, sort of holds us down on this earth and we don't fall off the earth because of the spin. But if the spin of the earth were only 100 miles an hour rather than 1,000 miles an hour, then the days and nights would be 10 times as long as they are now. And in the long days, the heat would roast us all alive. And the wrong, long nights, 10 nights, would freeze us to death. And it's just perfect, the rotation of the earth. Another thing that scientist said was what God had planned so perfectly about this universe was the inclination or the slant of the earth. When you see a globe, the globe is not just straight up. It's always slanted like that. It's 23 degrees slant. If it were different just by one degree any way, then the continents would be iced over, scientists tell us. Another factor, think about the heat of the sun. The sun is about 11,000 degrees at surface temperature, but we're just exactly far enough away on this planet we call Earth to receive the benefit from the sun, the heat, just the right temperature for us. If the sun gave off mo twice as much heat, then we would all be killed instantly with the, the intense heat. If the sun gave off only half as much heat as it does, then we'd all freeze to death. Think about the distance of the moon from the earth. I remember when I was uh, in younger grade studying uh, biology and some things about the earth, 
said the moon was 238,500 miles from the earth. If the moon were only about 50,000 miles away, not 238, but 50,000 miles away, then twice every day we would have gigantic tides that came that would flood every inch of this planet Earth. Consider, if you will, another factor this scientist gave, and that was the density of the atmosphere. If the atmosphere around us were just a little bit thinner than the millions of meteors that come toward the Earth constantly would, uh, now they burn themselves up in space. But if we didn't have the right density of the atmosphere, we would be beat to a pulp by all these meteors that would not have the friction to wear them out before they reach Earth's surface. I remember hearing a, a very fascinating speaker by the name of Dr. George Schweitzer, who was a Christian nuclear scientist from the University of Tennessee. He spoke about the giant telescopes that we have that have been used to discover amazing things about our world. Do you know what's out there in this world that can be seen only by these telescopes? I remember when I was a, a young student in, in high school, I think, we always considered there were pl nine planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, I may have left out one, but uh, there were nine of them. And then in 19, that was 1930 that Jupiter was discovered. Well, in 1990, the scientists have come out and said, no, Jupiter's not a planet, it's a, sort of a dwarf planet. So that reduced the number of planets we have to eight. However, in uh, just about three years ago, in 2016, scientists have now come up with another idea that there's a planet they have discovered. They've given it the name Planet X. So that brings us back to nine. Numbers of planets out there. Now, of course, you know perhaps that this whole system in which we live is called the Milky Way. It's a galaxy that we uh, live in. The number of galaxies, now ours is just one, but the number of total galaxies in existence is over one billion galaxies. The number of stars, they say, in just our little galaxy, the Milky Way, is over one sextillion stars. That's put the one and 21 zeros on the side. That's how many stars we have in our galaxy. The distance across our galaxy, the Milky Way, is 500 quadrillion miles. And that's the five followed by 17 zeros. The number of stars that have been seen by these giant telescopes, they say, is far over 100 million, 100 sextillion stars. That's uh, one plus 23 zeros on the side. Well, these numbers are so baffling. They're so confusing to me that I just can't take all that in. In fact, uh, you may know that we don't even measure planetary distances now by number of miles. It goes by number of light years. If you could just imagine you're at a football field where it's pitch black dark with no lights on at all and you have a little flashlight, and you turn that flashlight on, and somebody is 100 yards away, almost instantly they would see the light of your little flashlight 100 yards away. That's how long it takes the light to travel 
a light year is the distance it takes light to travel in one year. That is amazing, 186,000 miles every second. And that's how they measure distances now, by light years, not miles. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't understand figures like I've been telling you right now. It, it just is too much for my little brain to comprehend. Uh, when I hear people talking about things like this, I feel like a man who was told about all these numbers and the galaxy and everything. And uh, he was saying, he made a comment when he saw a picture of the first atomic bomb react, uh, blast. And when he saw that atomic bomb explosion, he said, man, that's dynamite. Well, he, he was missing the point, of course. Atomic bomb was so much greater than a little stick of dynamite. But that's, that's the way it is with all these things that God has made. It's really hard for me to think about billions or sextillions or quadrillions. Uh, when I hear brilliant men of science, men and women, when they talk about all these multiplied uh, uh, numbers, all the mathematical qual uh, possibility of two stars colliding, they tell us is so remote that it can't even be figured mathematically. That just blows my mind. What has God done? Well, just to assume that all these vast wonders of nature happen to be there by accident, that's just about as intelligent as believing that Webster's Unabridged Dictionary was accidentally published by an explosion in a printing factory. Ridiculous to think that way. When I see the stars, the sun, the moon, all the vastness of God's great universe, I feel like I ought to sing. If I could sing well, I'd like to sing a song that was really uh, written originally uh, back in uh, 135 years ago by a Swedish uh, Christian pastor, Carl Boberg. And those words of that little song he wrote have come to us. They were translated by Stuart Hine from German into English. And this little song that Boberg wrote is one that have, has come to be a favorite of so many people. And that's maybe the way you feel when you hear all this talk about the planet and the universe. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And surely we would say that. Yes, God has done a whole lot in nature, in his world. But look with me at another thing. What has God done in history? Well, for beginnings, he opened up the Red Sea and let his people cross through on dry land. Uh, he caused the walls of Jericho to fall, miraculously almost, just by a group of men parading around blowing their trumpets. And, and uh, he uh, closed the mouths of the lions in the lion's den so Daniel wouldn't be hurt. On one occasion, God caused the sun to stand still and where do we stop? God has been at work in history in so many ways. History, really it is His story. If you put those, separate the word history, it's His story. And we could literally spend hours in reviewing ways in which God has been very active throughout all of history. 
long before we ever came on the scene. But think of what God has done, not just in the world of universe around us, not just in history, but what has God done in Jesus Christ? Coming down to earth, God on the earth. That's the most unthinkable thought. That's the most incredible idea that one could possibly imagine that this great God who created all of this would decide he wants to come down and be one of us and take on the flesh. But the great physician did make a house call one day. He didn't just stay up there in heaven and say, well, you've got a lot of problems down there. You take two doses of hope and you call me at 10 o'clock on judgment day and I'll see what we can do. No, God came down to where we are and he said, I love you. I have become one of you and I want to save you. I'll hurt like you hurt. I'll live in the world you have to live in with all the diseases like coronavirus and everything else. I'll live in that world. I'll face all the problems that you face. I love you so much that I'll even die for you, God says. What has God done? I think the greatest thing he's done of all was when the Lord Jesus Christ became a human being, not just on the earth, but when he comes and lives in our hearts and he changes our lives for the better. The beautiful thing that happens is when a sinful, self-centered soul is turned over to Jesus Christ and that life is blessed immeasurably. That is God's greatest work, surely. You know, you are far much of greater worth in God's sight than all that world I've described earlier. Your soul, you individually, are more important to God. Jesus said on one occasion, what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Yes, our soul is far more valuable to him than anything you can imagine. I think this is what the Apostle Paul was, was thinking when he wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. That book, by the way, 1 Corinthians, is sort of a problem-solving letter. Paul's been talking to these folks in Corinth, a wicked city, Corinth, uh, about not getting split up over their fav who's their favorite preacher. Some said, well, I like this preacher, and I like that preacher, and I like the other preacher. And Paul's trying to get rid of that kind of thinking. Uh, he addressed their problem of getting drunk when they took the Lord's Supper or Communion or Mass or the Eucharist. People were just getting drunk when they came to that observance. He was talking uh, about their living like the rest of the world all around them. And then, of all things, some of the people in the church in Corinth were just puffed up with pride because they, had, they felt better spiritual gifts than some other people had. And so 1 Corinthians is that problem-solving letter addressing these things. But Paul brings them all back down to earth and he says, now, we've talked about those things, but let's, let's talk about the most important thing now. And so that 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is an exciting chapter. Paul talks about what it means to be living a life with the Lord inside our being, inside our heart. It majors on what Jesus can do for the individual. These high ideas that Paul was hearing these people talk about, he was trying to bring them back down to realistic, putting their feet on the earth. Everything we believe about God is very understandable, really. Two things, I would say. 
First, Jesus Christ died, and second, he rose from the dead on that third day, which is Easter as we think of it today. This world has never been the same since that day, and no person ever needs to be the same either when Jesus comes into a life. Jesus is the person, as Paul talks about in verse 35, who has already defeated death. Paul, I think, had humor in this, what he was saying. He was addressing death in that th 1 Corinthians 15. He said, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? And just sort of nudging, putting the teasing into the death and the grave. But he goes on two verses later in verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think if there's any one word that could sum up the whole totality of the Christian life is this word victory. We have victory through Jesus. You know the song. I heard an old, old story. Our Savior came from glory. I gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And then the chorus goes, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. That's what we have in Jesus, victory. Well, in what ways does Jesus give us victory? First, he gives us victory over sin. Years ago, the great physician laid out upon the operating table of the world the diseased body of humanity. And there with his scalpel, his word, the Bible, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, he laid open a malignant growth. That growth was called sin. And even today we come to this great physician and we say, oh, great physician, give us your diagnosis. What's wrong with us? What makes us promise to be the kind of people that we really want to be? And yet we fall so far short of becoming that kind of person. Why do we say so much and do so little? Why, great physician, is there this war down inside us? It's like a devil and an angel sitting on either shoulder and the devil's whispering in one ear and the angel in the other. Why are we listening to the devil more than we are the angel? What's wrong with us? And that great physician's diagnosis is penned in Romans 3.23. Here's the problem, he says, for all have sinned, that's the past, and fall, present, fall short of the glory of God. And then we say, well, God, how serious is this sin? And sadly, he dips his pen to write once again in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, he hastens to say, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's free gift of victory over sin, full payment for our sins, that's his gift to us. And then his Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and does for us what we can't do for ourselves. If, if we could interview some people from the past who lived back in New Testament days, uh, let's suppose we could just approach Paul. We might say to Paul something like this, Paul, I've got a question I want to ask you. I read here in the Bible where you were a murderer you killed people who were Christians. You blasphemed the name of Jesus Christ. You were one of the worst enemies of Jesus of that day. Paul, how could you ever become Christianity's greatest missionary? 
How could you do the things that you do? How could you, Paul, be the author of almost half of the New Testament? I think Paul would probably bow his head and he would maybe sing a song in his own words, sort of like we sing sometimes. Oh, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. But oh, how wonderful. Oh, how marvelous. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how wonderful. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. Suppose you could interview not only Paul, but Simon Peter from the Bible. You might say to him something like this, Peter, you know, if we were going to pick um, leaders for the Christian movement, you would not be one of the ones we would pick by any means. We never knew what to expect from you, Peter. You were up, you were down, you were vacillating, you were undependable. When the Lord needed you the most, you denied him the most. You did the wrong things. You said the wrong things. Uh, you spoke and then you thought. Uh, how is it, Peter, that you, an unlearned, rough-handed, foul-mouthed fisherman, could become the world's greatest preacher. How's that? Well, if you would ask Simon Peter that question, I think Peter, who lived all of his life on the water and who knew all about the fishing and, and the Sea of Galilee, Peter would probably bow his head and he would say something like in the words of another old gospel song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's right. Yes, to know Jesus Christ is to have victory over sin. But there's another truth I want to mention to you. Jesus gives us victory not just over the sin in our life, but in our life as well. Some people still have the mistaken idea that Christianity is just a bunch of negatives. Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. Just a bunch of knots. Anything that's fun is necessarily bad, they say. Well, one person described what he thought Christians were like. He said, Christians are like some people who go into buildings that you can't see into, and some buildings you can't even get into, and with glum, sour faces, they gather together and they recite things like, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with boys who do. That used to be an old phrase from girls in college. Some people think that when you become a Christian, you have to give up all your joy. If you're going to have life up there in heaven, then you can't have life down here on earth. Oh, Christianity is so much more than that. When Jesus walked those dusty roads of Palestine, saying, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly, he was talking about a beginning of a new life right here and right now on this earth. The great thing about being a Christian is not that you don't get to sin, but rather it's you don't have to continue in your willful sin pattern. I like so much the story of the organist in, in London who one day was walking down the streets in London. And as he walked down the streets of that great city, he happened to hear a Salvation Army band playing. Of course, he heard the band long before he ever saw it. They were so loud. 
But the fellow who was playing the, the big bass drum in that Salvation Army band was literally beating that drum so hard, now you could hardly hear uh, the, the brass playing. Well, that's some bass drumming, of course. And so this organist, uh, during a, a lull between the musical numbers, the organist slipped over and spoke to that bass drummer, big old uh, fella. He said, Mister, you know, if you wouldn't hit that drum so hard, then we could hear the rest of the band playing. The old grinning drummer looked back at him and said, Why, bless you, sir. Since I've been saved, I'm so happy I could just bust this blooming drum in pieces. That's the spirit. That, ought to, that kind of attitude ought to be present in every Christian. There's something like that that has joy. Tertullian, I think, one of the early Christian fathers, was exactly right when he said, hilarity is the mark of genuine Christian maturity. And so on this glorious Easter Sunday, wishing we could be where we're not right now, wishing we could be in a church somewhere, wishing we could be at the ocean front, worshiping the Lord as we begin this day. But we've gathered together, perhaps around a television or around one of the marvelous miracles of communication that we have these days. And uh, we might be saying, what has God ever done? We look around us and we see people who are dying and we don't minimize the, the seriousness of this coronavirus disease. But we see all about that. What, what's the world coming to? What has God done for us? Well, the answer is God has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, exactly what we need. His resurrection from the dead offers us the victory that we need over sin and the victory we need to sustain us in our everyday living. Not only the pie in the sky by and by, but help and strength to go through the nasty, gritty now. And therefore, we know that we have a risen, living Savior. And because He lives, we can face tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because we know who holds the future. Life is worth the living just because He lives. And that's what we celebrate on this Easter Sunday and indeed every Sunday in the Christian faith. Thank you for joining with us, with us here at Ocean Lakes and with Christians around this world who are celebrating that fact today. Let's express our praise, our thanks to God in a moment of prayer. Oh God, we have no words that are good enough to tell you how thankful we are for giving us your son, Jesus. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, and you came to us individually, as well as to this old sinful pattern uh, planet called Earth, and you've offered us something that we need so much, that is eternal life through Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of celebrating His resurrection over the grave. And we pray that in these days ahead, though we don't know what lies ahead for any of us, but that we might lean strong on those everlasting arms that you've promised to give to us. Thank you, Father, for hearing us now as we offer our prayer in the spirit and in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we do thank you so much for being with us today. 